today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. You and I and they should not have sorrow as others who have no hope. It's okay and it's only right to weep when we, when we have the passing of a loved one. God has given us those kind of connections, those kinds of emotions as part of our human experience. Jesus himself wept uh, at the news of Lazarus's death. But right following that, it says that the Jews understood that from seeing that, oh, how he loved him. It was his love for Lazarus. But we don't sorrow as those who have no hope because we as believers, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We have a different hope than others who do not know Christ. We understand that this world is temporary and there is so much more waiting for us after death. It is not something we fear or see as an ending. Christians believe death is the start of something greater. Today, Pastor David discusses this hope. When our believing loved ones die, we have a sorrow that only they can fill. But we also have the hope of seeing them again one day. Have you accepted Christ's work on the cross to gain this hope? Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with part 1 of today's message, Caught Up Together. You'd have to be living under a rock or in a cave or without uh, any access to any outside media to know that, or to not know that this week we lost an amazing servant of God. Uh, we lost uh, probably the most powerful spokesman for the gospel of Jesus Christ in the 20th century. Um, Reverend Billy Graham, again, by, uh, you know, he's in heaven now. He's, he's joining that great chorus standing before the throne and just worshiping the Lord that he served for over 70 years. Over 70 years of ministry, that's a, that's a long time in the ministry, and he was faithful to it. And one of the things, if you've listened to Billy Graham very often, you realize his message never changed. You come to God through Jesus Christ, because God loves you, he sent Christ to die for you. And that same message, oh, maybe maybe wrapped up in a few other things, but that simplicity of that message sent out to literally over millions and millions of people in that 70 years of ministry. Uh, he was the pastor to uh, 12 consecutive presidents of the United States from, from Truman to Obama. He had influence on some of those presidents and on some of them he didn't have that much, but he was there and he availed himself the opportunity to be able to meet with them and to just encourage them in the things of the Lord. He died at the age of 99. His son, Franklin Graham, writes of his father's passing. He writes, my father has joined my mother in heaven 
He went to sleep in his home in the beautiful mountains of North Carolina and woke up in the arms of Jesus. While many around the world mourn his physical death, he's now celebrating eternal life, the life that he spent over 70 years telling millions of people about. Franklin goes on to speak about uh, the last crusade that uh, Billy was actually involved in. That was in 2005. He spoke to a national magazine about death. Billy Graham says, do I fear death? No, I look forward to death with great anticipation. I'm looking forward to seeing God's face or God face to face. And that could happen any day, any day. I remember going to Calvary Chapel pastors conferences through the years and uh, Pastor Chuck Smith, again, uh, uh, the the movement of Calvary Chapel beginning in the 60s, his faithful uh, service of the Lord, his understanding, man, is I'm gonna serve the Lord until the Lord comes back for me. Well, uh, the Lord came for him. He was still serving the Lord, but I can remember many of those conferences, especially in the later years, that he would share with us something along the line of, one day you're going to hear someone say that Charles Smith has died. Don't believe them, because I'll be more alive than I have ever been. I'll be eternally alive with no more death, no more tears, no more sorrow. I'll be safe in the arms of Jesus. What a great attitude that is to have for both of those great servants of God. And that's the same attitude that every believer needs to have. The church of Thessalonica was troubled about this whole idea of the coming of the Lord and those who as believers had already passed away prior to the Lord coming for his church. They were fearful that those who had already died would somehow miss out on the rapture or on the second coming of Christ. Now, we don't have available to us the, uh, the, the, the transcript or, or any type of uh, solid report of, of Timothy's discussion with Paul after he returned from Thessalonica and shared with Paul concerning what was going on in Thessalonica. But what we gather from, again, Paul's writings, the, 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 the context of what we see in the writings of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, kind of an idea of what was troubling the church there in Thessalonica. Now, we've been going through the book of 1 Thessalonians for a while. We've, uh, we're now in chapter four. I invite you, if you would, to turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter four. We're gonna be beginning in uh, verse 13 this morning. And here, Paul makes some statements concerning the return of the Lord Jesus and the gathering of the saints together, both those that were living as well as those that had already passed. So 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter four, let's look beginning in verse 13 through the end of that chapter. Paul writes, but I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. In the context of just these uh, 154 words or so, Paul appears to be addressing a concern that in, in reference to the Lord's return and how that worked with those who had already fallen asleep, those who had already passed away into death prior to his return. Now, the very words that Paul uses here draws us to conclude that somehow either someone had brought in a teaching to the church there in Thessalonica that says, hey, if they've already died, they're, they're gonna miss the coming of the Lord. Or maybe it was just a pointed question. They just didn't know how to work this into their newfound faith, their doctrine as they're forming it, their theology as it's coming together for them. What happens when people die and the Lord hasn't come back yet? One of the other things we need to interject here to to help you understand is the first century church believed that the Lord was coming back any time. I mean, just any any day now. There was this anticipation, there was this expectation that, man, the Lord has left, but he's coming right back for his church. And so that's how they lived their life, that the Lord would come back at any moment, at any time. But you know what? That's how we ought to be living our life too. Uh, and yes, it's been 2,000 years, but we still ought to live with that expectation. I've shared with you guys in the past that uh, when we were first married in uh, 1972, uh, seven, yeah, 72, whew, got that one right. Uh, <clears throat> the churches that we were involved in spoke quite often about the rapture of the church. It was this anticipation. There was this building and expectation. And so we didn't even worry about buying a house. Why, Why go through the hassles of buying a house? The Lord's coming back any day. Well, a few years later, we ended up buying a house and we bought a couple since then and sold them and the Lord still hasn't come back. But you know what? I still believe the Lord is coming back any day at any time. We need to have that same kind of expectation. Paul uses that, that, that word ignorant and, and when he uses that word, he's not, he's not putting them down. He's, he's not being negative in any way. The word used in the Greek is agnoeo. Agnoeo, it means to not to know. Now, it does have the connotation not to know either through lack of information or lack of intelligence, but we know in the context of what he's saying, he's not questioning their intelligence. He is simply stating that it's a situation of their lack of knowledge. Now, I don't consider myself lacking in intelligence, now, some of you may argue that point about me, but, but, but I do know that I'm ignorant, okay? I, I'm ignorant in a lot of things, uh, and so are you, by the way. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, so far as I know, there's none of you here today that I would desire to have doing heart surgery or brain surgery on me, okay? Uh, I don't care how many YouTube videos you've watched. Uh, I, I think you're just ignorant of what needs to be done and how it needs to be. And you don't want me doing the same thing to you because I'm ignorant of those things. I just don't have that knowledge. I don't have that understanding. And that's what he's saying here to the church there in Thessalonica. Don't be offended. It's just the reality of what's going on. You're, you're not stupid. We're just ignorant. Uh, Paul is simply saying, I do not want you to be 
uninformed brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep. And as I shared with you before, that idea of falling asleep is is simply a New Testament way of speaking of believers who have died. We see that phrase used regularly throughout the New Testament. Uh, John chapter 11, Jesus speaks about Lazarus who had uh, who was uh, asleep, who had being asleep, and even though he had he had died like four days before, he'd been already wrapped up and and in, in the tomb for four days. But Jesus says no, he had fallen asleep. Uh, in in Mark chapter five, Jesus speaks about the daughter of the synagogue ruler, who uh, the child is not dead; she is sleeping. And well, she was dead. Uh, Jesus raised her from the dead. Even in Matthew 27, at the death of Jesus on the cross, Matthew writes to us that the graves were open and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. So we have this clear understanding. To, to fall asleep is that word, it's that phrase of believers who have passed away. Paul uses it here in First Thessalonians. He also uses it in First Corinthians. He says in First Corinthians, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep sleep, but we shall be changed. Now, that's not just a plaque that goes in the nursery of the church. Now, that's, that's a reality. Some of you will get that going home, but uh, you'll understand what I'm saying. <clears throat> but we also have to be careful to understand, we're not talking about soul sleep, that believers just go into this soul sleep, this catatonic state, nothing really happening, waiting for the Lord to return. Paul is very adamant elsewhere in the scriptures when he speaks about to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You and I as believers, once we pass away from this life, we pass right into the presence of the Lord. It's like going from this room, which is the physical life, walking through that door into eternal life for the believer. There's not a moment that's uh, missed there. There's nothing that's changed there. They're suddenly in the presence of the Lord. So now back on point, Paul is informing the brothers and the sisters there in Thessalonica that it's okay to have sorrow with their passing. But as believers in the resurrection, you and I and they should not have sorrow as others who have no hope. It's okay and it's only right to weep when we, when we have the passing of a loved one. God has given us those kind of connections, those kinds of emotions as part of our human experience. Jesus himself wept uh, at the news of Lazarus' death. But right following that, it says that the Jews understood that from seeing that, oh, how he loved him. It was his love for Lazarus. But we don't sorrow as those who have no hope because we as believers, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. And we understand the death for the believer. In one way, we, we look at it, it, it's only temporary, but we, we understand that, uh, again, for, for them, uh, for us, that there's going to be this great reunion. They're going to rise again. Now, it's temporary in our understanding because we have the sun to give us morning and evening to help us keep time. But what about in the heavenlies? Are are they sitting around heaven waiting for the end of time and they're just kind of saying, ah, come on, God, isn't it over yet? Now, I'm gonna give you something weird. This isn't biblical, but it's an understanding that I have. Kind of helps me understand. There's no Timexes in heaven. There's no Rolexes even. There's no time in heaven. I believe for our, those that have passed away, it's already a done deal. It, it's done. We are confined by time. 
We wait day after day after day until the culmination of all that God has planned. But don't you understand that in God's mind, in God's understanding, it's already done. It's already complete. That's just a sidebar. There's no extra charge for that. Take it or leave it as it goes. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul says that we stand on the promises of the word of God. Look what he says in verse 15. For this we say to you, how? By the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. He tells us also in 1 Corinthians 15, that passage that I alluded to a moment ago. Uh, as I said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Verse 52 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, it's gonna happen in a moment, in the, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Beloved, we stand with all believers everywhere throughout the ages with that anticipation, with that expectation of the coming of the Lord and the reality that this ain't all there is. And are we happy for that, amen? Okay, it's not good English, but it is great theology, okay? This ain't all there is. There's eternity before us. Rather you believe in the rapture of the church or not, it's not gonna keep it from happening to you. Trust me, when the trumpet sounds and you go airborne, you'll believe in the rapture, okay? <laughs> but, but seriously, uh, there, there's a lot of people that don't believe in the rapture, and I, I understand that. It's not a salvation issue, uh, and they don't believe that the Bible really clearly speaks of the rapture. It doesn't use the word rapture, but the, word, but the Bible doesn't uh, clearly speak of the Trinity. There's a lot of places that we bring the inference, the understanding of it. They don't believe that there is going to be this catching away of the church before or separate from the second coming. They believe that the second coming and the taking of the saints together is all uh, one event. But I, I would ask you, if you would this morning, to bear with me for a moment, listen honestly, and try to listen without prejudice uh, uh, for, for a moment. Because I do believe that the Bible very clearly speaks of the rapture from Genesis to Revelation. Now, first of all, let's look again at what Paul says right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look down in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be, what? Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So you need to ask yourself two questions if you're honestly desiring to know, is there really and truly a rapture? Number one, does Paul ever use the word rapture? And then number two, in the instance which Paul speaks of here, is it any different than what we know biblically of what the second coming of Christ is going to happen, what's going to happen during, at the second coming. First of all, let's look at the word rapture. In verse 17, Paul says, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. 
The very phrase caught up is what I want you to focus on. The Greek word that's used here is harpazo. Harpazo, according to Kittle's Dictionary of the New Testament, means to steal, to capture, to snatch, to seize, to take by force, or to catch away. We can also look at Strong's uh, concordance or, or concise dictionary of the New Testament. Harpazo has a very similar meaning, uh, meaning with Strong's. It means to seize or to catch up, catch away, to pluck, to pull, to take by force. Now stay with me here. When the Greek scriptures were translated from the Greek to the Latin, the Latin word for caught up or snatched up or taken away by force is the word rapturo, R-A-P-T-U-R-O, rapturo. And just as we do with a lot of Latin words, we simply changed it slightly, and that's where we get the term rapture, okay? So if you don't like the word rapture, that's okay, that's okay. Uh, you can simply say that we're waiting for the catching up, for the seizing, for the snatching away, for the taking of force uh, of the church. And so you see, I do believe that Paul used the word rapture, uh, but it was just all Greek to him, okay? He just said it in Greek. Now, the second thing about this passage, Paul says we will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, if you think that this is a clear and and a parallel picture of what we know about the second coming of Christ, then there's some scriptures that you need to either read or reread. Zechariah 14.4 speaks about in that day, the great day, the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, that his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, and on it goes. Now, when he comes, it's not gonna be in the air. He's gonna come all the way down. He's gonna stand. Such passages as this, oh, in that same uh, Zechariah passage, down a little bit further in, in verse five of chapter four, he says, thus the Lord my God will come and all of the saints with him. So the saints are coming with him at that time. He's not coming to get them. They're coming with him. There's other passage, uh, Ezekiel. We can look at uh, Daniel. We can look at Joel. We can look at a whole host of other Old Testament passages speaking of the day of the Lord or the second coming of Christ. And we know that on that second coming of Christ, it's going to be a time of judgment. It's going to be a time where the Lord, again, wages war against the nations and the unbelievers. We could read uh, Revelation chapter 19, uh, verses 11 through 21 again. We read about the second coming of Christ. And again, he comes with a sword out of his mouth, uh, the, the word of God, that with it he should smite the nation. And with him are hundreds and thousands and thousands of his saints together with him. They're coming with him. He's not bringing them up. No, he's bringing them with them. Add to that the fact that Paul tells us here in chapter five that those who are children of God, those who are believers, that God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some believe that, no, the believers are going to be here through the wrath during that time of tribulation. I don't believe so. I believe that we're out of here. Open up. 
We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. There's so much to learn from the pages of 1 Thessalonians, and we hope today's teaching from Pastor David has made you want to study further. You don't have to wait for us, though. Pull out your Bible and ask God to reveal His blessings and truth to you today in your personal study time. The Word provides all we need to develop our faith in the Almighty Creator and step out boldly to a world that needs Him. If you want to learn more about our ministry here at The Open Word, we'd encourage you to visit our website, theopenword.com. Before we leave you, Pastor David has a message to share with you. I can't even begin to tell you how honored I am to be able to share God's Word with you. Not only do I get to spend regular time in the Bible myself, but I then get to share the hope and the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that's the best job I can think of. I also get to spend time praying for you. That's right, for you. I want you to know that you do matter to me, and even more so, you matter to the Lord. He wants to develop a a deep and lasting relationship with you, no matter what your past looks like. Today, I hope you make the decision to trust Him with all that you are. If you want to talk to someone further, please give us a call here at The Open Word. Our phone number is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. And again, hey, thank you for being a part of our listening audience here at The Open Word. Make us more.